Jewish audio on Chabad.org. So tonight is the seventh in a series, but in some ways it's the first of a series also, and I will explain. We have been trying to understand the deeper message of the 12 Psukim. So for those joining us for the first time, it's a very basic re- recap. Summer 1976, it's a special year. The Rebbe declares it to be a year of education. And one of the things he talks about when he speaks about education is that children should educate other children. He talks about even students being teachers, even recipients being benefactors, even at a very young age. And there we go on Erev Rishchidosh Iyar, Tavshalam Advav. The Rebbe surprises everybody. And he speaks about psukim, about passages, six passages. He talks about these passages that should be reviewed by heart by the children. And very interestingly, the Rebbe does not only emphasize the exact verbiage of the Pasuk. The Rebbe talks about the ideas of the Pesukim also. What the Pasuk means. Some of the Pesukim, I'm pretty sure when it came to the Pasuk of Bechol Dovador, Chayav Adam, Lirises Atzim Mitzayim, the Rebbe didn't even say those words. He said, An inyan from Yitzhiyas Mitzayim, to talk about the Exodus in a manner that shows that it is dynamic, that it is meaningful, that it's engaged or involved in our life. And these are very famous 12 psukim, and everybody reviews them by heart. But I'm going to humbly suggest to you that perhaps we're missing part of the point. If we're only just reviewing the words or letters, because the Rebbe spoke about children learning things, he spoke about the fact that children could be explained. Let me rephrase that. (laughs) He said, you could explain to children the meaning of these passages. And when you explain it to a child, the child in turn can explain it to somebody else. And that doesn't mean that there isn't a deeper, a more profound meaning. It just means that things can be understood on a simple level. When a child learns in Cheder that Avraham Avinu was in pain because it was the third day after his Brit Milah, and he was sitting in front of his tent and he was looking for guests or visitors because he wanted to engage in hospitality, that's not false or wrong, obviously it's limited. And when the child gets older, hopefully he'll continue to study Torah and he'll, he'll be involved and immerse himself in the weekly Torah portion year after year. And maybe for a time he'll actually study Parshas Lech Lecha and then Parshas Vayera. And he'll have a more profound understanding of Avraham Avinu. That doesn't mean that what he learned in nursery school about Avraham Avinu sitting at the opening to attend is wrong. It's true. It's correct. There was a Jew. His name was Avram. He's our ancestor. He was a person who was so worried and so concerned with or consumed with doing for others that when he couldn't do for others, he he felt sick. And therefore, even in a time of personal pain, that's what he was doing. And then I spoke about the Pesukim in these terms. He said, even a child can understand this. A child can relate to this. That is to say... The Rebbe didn't make 12 Sukkim only for children, and he didn't make the 12 Sukkim only to be reviewed or memorized. But rather, there should be, there's a content, there's a message, there's a meaning, there's a motif. There's an idea that's supposed to be conveyed, or many ideas. And that's been the premise of this class. And we went through the first six Psukim, which are the six passages that the Rebbe spoke about at that original Fabrengen. And obviously, there was a big tumult, and this went around the world, and everybody talked about it, and children began to review it. And some 18 Days later, 19 days later, on a very special day, which we know as Lagba Omer, on that special day called Lagba Omer, there was a big parade. Because it was the year of education. So even though it wasn't on a Sunday, there was a big parade. And the Rebbe 
came to participate in that big Lag Ba'om parade as he would always. And behind him, there were Sukkim. Six verses emblazoned on vinyl signs in front of 770. And then the Rebbe began to speak about adding another six psukim, another six passages. And once again, he followed the same order, two psukim, two passages, which are taken from the scripture itself, from the Chumash, two passages taken from Mishnah, from the Talmud, and then two passages of the teachings of Hasidus, the Torah of the Baal Shem Tev and the Magad, as it was articulated, distilled, and presented by the Alter Rebbe and Sefer Atanya. So, so it's the same order. And when, when the Rebbe spoke about this, he gave a very interesting introduction. And I would like to share with you some of that introduction. But before I share that introduction with you, I want to share with you an observation. A double observation. Observation, part one of, of this observation is, did the Rebbe not know that he was originally going to plan for 12 psukim? Did he originally think of 6 psukim and then say, let's add another 6? Anybody who knows anything about the Rebbe knows that that is simply unthinkable. The Rebbe could have beat Gary Gasparov at chess. Everything was thought out. Everything was carefully and very painstakingly examined. The Rebbe on more than one occasion spoke of how he would make calculations upon calculations upon calculations of what something would bring to before he would begin to speak. Purportedly, the Rebbe once was asked by somebody how much time he prepares for the Fabrengen and the Rebbe said he spends several hours thinking of what not to say. And on another occasion, somebody asked the Rebbe, somebody asked the Rebbe, he asked the Rebbe's wife about that. The Rebbe demands so much of Hasidim. And when it got to the Rebbe, the Rebbe said that before he demands anything of the Hasidim, he demands ten times as much from himself. So if we're to say that these twelve psukim were important to the Rebbe, that would be an understatement. And that they represented something foundational. And there was something that was critical. And something that could make an enormous contribution and somehow put us into a, a, a better a better state, a better ability to fulfill our destiny and our mission, our shlichut. I think that Rebbe you know, gave us 12, 6 psukim, and then he said, oh, you know what, okay, I'm just going to add another 6. It's just unthinkable. So the Rebbe, the Rebbe planned, originally planned 12 psukim, but he only revealed or only shared 6 of them. And then he decided, several days later, on Lagba Omer to share another 6. Okay, why did he do that? Why didn't he just give us the 12 psukim? Why did he introduce 12 psukim at the beginning of the month of Iyar? Which incidentally is a month that we prepare for Matan Torah. It's the only month of the year that is bound together by the common denominator of the same mitzvah performed each and every day, namely the mitzvah of Sefirah to Omer. And it is this month that is understood to be a unique time to nurture and develop ourselves as Jewish people. Nisan represents the miraculous exodus, Hashem taking us out of Mitzrayim. Sivan, of course, is the month in which Hashem gave us His Torah. Iyar is our month. That's the month when we're supposed to do the work. That's the month when we're supposed to prepare so that we should be able to receive the Torah properly. It's the month of Avodah. So Erev Rishchidosh, Rebbe preempts the month with Avodah, giving us marching orders, telling us to analyze, to, to think deeply, to memorize, 
to internalize these psukim. And then on Lag Baomer of old days, the Rebbe decides then, and only then, to tell us about an additional six. So why did he do that? And why Lag Baomer? And the second point, before I go on to the preface of the Sikh of Lag Baomer, the second point is, that we're going to review the, the six passages, or I like to call them the six steps towards a better life. And when you review these six steps, they actually seem to be complete. It's, it's, it's a full system. It's a full strategy. Why do we need another six psukim? What was wrong with the first six? Most of you have been coming to these classes. And you can always look online if you want to brush up. So let's review them quickly. The first message you want to give to a member of Ami is, the Torah is yours. And therefore it's relevant. All of it. To all of you. To all of us. That's Torah Tziva. Marasha. It's our inheritance. The person says, that's nice. It's nice that the Torah is mine. I'm sure my neshama, my soul in Gan Eden was very happy with the Torah. But my address now is uh, here, in this common material world. And in here I don't feel godliness and I don't see the message of Torah. So it's great for the heavens, but it has nothing to do with me now because maybe I came from there. Perhaps I'm going back there, but now I'm living on earth. Next step. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elikeinu Hashem Echad There is a oneness that pervades the entire universe. The same God that's in the heavens is the same God that's right here on earth. Whatever is true in heaven is true on earth. And there is absolutely no barrier whatsoever. Okay. So the Torah is mine. And it's real. It's supposed to be practical. It's, it's part of this everyday world. Well, the Torah may be part of this everyday world. But here's the problem. I am not just a soul. I also have a body. And bodily realities. And these bodily realities shackle and restrain and constrain my soul. So my soul cannot soar to spiritual freedom. So I'm afraid this is not for me. So we come along and say, oh yes it is. Because actually, you as a member of the Jewish people were born in a state of exodus. We were fired in the kiln of Egypt and brought out by Hashem. And this is a dynamic reality. In every generation, Hashem is taking us out of Mitzrayim. We must see ourselves as if we left Mitzrayim. Not in geographic sense, but in the metaphoric sense. Euphemistically speaking, as being constraints and limitations. And because Hashem took you out of Mitzrayim, because Hashem takes you out of Mitzrayim, you have the ability to transcend the seeming obstacles that your bodily material reality presents for you. Okay, that's nice. So now I know it's all mine. I know it's not just in the heaven, it's right here on earth, Hashem Achad. And I also know that I can do this. Here's the problem. I'm about 50 years late. <laughs> or maybe five years late. I, I haven't been living this kind of life. So I haven't built up an arsenal of spirituality and I'm not really connected. And because, and because that's the case, you're asking me to change myself. You're asking me to literally wean myself out of a reality I'm comfortable with and put myself into a reality that I'm totally uncomfortable with. That's, that's not practical. So we come to Yid and say, what are you talking about? I mean, it's not you. Of course it's you. The, the eternity of Elam Haba, which is the reward of your efforts, actually was yours before you even started working. It's like counterintuitive. The reward, you're born to reward, you have to earn the reward. So we explained that you earn a, a portion of this reward is yours even before you start because the reward is eternity and eternity is your defining hallmark. 
you have a piece of godliness that's the core essence of your neshama. That is Olam Abba. Wow. So it's all mine. It's right here on earth. I can get out of my shackles, my soul can soar. And you told me that it's already part of me. Yeah. But on a practical level, I can't do it. Maybe I can talk the talk. Maybe I can make believe I'm part of this. I can go to shul. I can shake my head if you want. Maybe I can walk the walk. I can force or coerce myself to do certain things. I cannot really experience an interchange. It's not who I really am. I mean, maybe subconsciously, maybe on some lofty level, I cannot create a sense of passion and fervor for spirituality. It's not intuitive. It's not my nature. I get excited about steak. I get excited about the lottery. I get excited about a lot of fun things. Davening, learning Torah, it's not one of them. The hockey game goes into overtime, count me in. The sermon goes into overtime, shoot the rabbi. I can't deal with it. This is not going to happen. It's not me. So we come along and we say to a yid, big mistake, my friend. Big mistake. You can do this. And the Baal Shem Tov taught us, and that's what the Altar Rebbe based his whole book on. That it's Beficha, you can speak it. It's La Asoisi, you can do it. But most importantly, it's Bilvavcha. You can literally rewire yourself. You can transform yourself internally. You can become a different person. You can become a person whose candle is lit by the performance of a mitzvah, the study of Torah, by engaging in passionate prayer. You can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can do this. Okay, yes, we can. What's the last problem? last problem is I don't want to I can I may oh, but I'm not interested okay you convinced me if I want to I can do this and it's part of me and it's not foreign to me I don't, I'm not really interested what compels me what forces me why should I comes the next puzzle God's counting on you that's why because he created a whole world and he put you in that world and you, he's relying on you. It's what, are you going to go to sleep now? How could you do that? Think about what's riding on you. And it's not just the big things. It's the little things. It's the baich and klayis it's the little minutia, it's the little details. That's a beautiful philosophy of life. That contains everything. It contains everything. If my first blush with Judaism, my first introduction to my final stroke of, of, of not only I can, I must, it's the most empowering message. God needs you. The king of all kings is, is waiting for you. And he's looking at you. Wow, I better get myself together. Okay, you're off to the races. Nisiatovaz, they say. Have a safe journey. Hopefully, you will enjoy the ride. What's missing? Why do I need another six psukim? What's my next challenge? I, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I went through all the steps. I went through all the steps. Six steps. I'm there. I know, I know, I know who I am. I know, I know what this is all about. I know that I can do it. And I even know that I have to do it. What's left now? Just do it. No, we need another six psukhi. No, after you've ruminated on the first six, you've internalized the message, comes another six. Why? Okay, so I made the number of different notations. And with all of these notations, as, a, as this is the preface, now I would like to share with you what the Rebbe said on that Lagba Imer in Tafshin Lamed Vav, 1976 at the Lagba Imer Parade. And I want to share with you something which is absolutely chilling. The Rebbe edited the Sikha. The Rebbe didn't edit all his talks. But on special occasions, there were transcripts and sometimes very carefully, very, very 
meticulously stitched together transcripts where the Rebbe had spoken about something a number of times and a team of scholars would kind of piece together from a number of different things the Rebbe said about a particular reality in Torah and the Rebbe would edit this. And some of the editing was very heavy. Crossing out entire sentences, sometimes paragraphs, rewriting, reorganizing. And this is what we're going to call this is, this, is, this is edited material. This is, this is not somebody's idea. This is not what somebody heard. This is what we call, this is formalized. When the Rebbe would edit these things, they would go to print immediately. They would be distributed as little booklets. The Rebbe did this a minimum once a week for many years. Later on, started even doing it twice a week. Then he started editing my Amorim also. And they would be printed. And eventually, after enough of these booklets have been printed, a book would come out. So the Rebbe edited the Sikha. He actually, it seems, asked that the Sikha, that this talk, be put together. It was a talk to children, by the way. This talk be put together, very meticulously, very carefully, and that it should be submitted for his editing purposes. He edited the Sikha, and somehow it never got printed. It never got printed. Two years ago, an entire manuscript, an entire Sikha, an entire talk, full of the Rebbe's notations, was discovered in the Rebbe's library that had never seen the light of day. It's unbelievable. So it was printed. And it's very compelling because it seems like somehow the Rebbe, the Rebbe knew that we would need this at a certain time. And the Hashgacha Pratas was, the Sikha was edited. I asked myself, why didn't the Rebbe ask, where's the Sikha? He never asked about it. He never asked why they didn't print it. And somehow, by incredible struggle of divine providence, two years ago, as the world is going to hell in a breadbasket, suddenly the sikha appears. So what did Rebbe talk about that day? He talked about Lag Bomer. He talked about the connection that Lag Bomer has with two great tzaddikim. Rabbi Akiva, who is the primary teacher, the primary backbone of Torah Shabal Peh, of the Mishnah, Kula Aliba de Rabbi Akiva, all the Mishnayas followed the tradition, the teaching, the guidance of Rabbi Akiva. The Medrash tells us that Moshe Rabbeinu prophetically foresaw Rabbi Akiva teaching Torah, and he said to God, he understands the Torah better than I. Why don't you give the Torah through him? And God doesn't say to Moshe Rabbeinu, nah, you understand the Torah much better. God says, because that's the way I decided. Because you are supposed to be Moshe, and the Torah is given through Meish Rabbeinu, and Rebbe Kiva is Rebbe Kiva. Rebbe Kiva is he's there. He's there in the most tumultuous times, destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, massacres of the Bar Kokhva era. Rebbe Kiva is there throughout. He teaches Torah. And it's Rebbe Kiva's disciples who tragically died during this period. And like Bomer is a day of respite. So we celebrate Rebbe Kiva, and we celebrate his Talmidim. And the other special day, or special tzaddik that this day celebrates, is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the famed author of the Zohar, a disciple of Rabbi Akiva. What Rabbi Akiva did for the Mishnah, for the exoteric texts of, Torah, of oral Torah, that deal with halacha, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was to the teachings of Kabbalah, which had been around for centuries, millennia. But it was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai who created the first body of formal teaching called Sefer HaZohar which later disappears and then reappears, much like our Sikha here. Disappears, reappears, when it had to reappear. So the Rebbe says 
that Rabbi Akiva, with regard to, to Rabbi Akiva, with regard to this day of Lagba Omer, that the world was shamim. The world was a wilderness, an empty world. And Rabbi Akiva, by his Torah teaching, by his tutelage, by his raising students, he builds the world back up. And I'm quoting almost verbatim. He says, As zozayin, it's a Yiddish sicha. I'll read it to you in Yiddish. As zozayin, a Yiddish welt. It should be a Jewish world. Una gute welt. A good world. Um bemele, wird es euch einwirken, since it's a Yiddish welt. And it's a gute welt. It's a Jewish world. It's a good world. Jewish means Torah, by the way. Not what Jews say. Jackie Mason's humor is not necessarily holy or even Jewish. He's a Jewish person who makes funny jokes about Jewish people. But it doesn't make it Jewish. Intrinsically Jewish is Torah. Torah is Jewish. There's a very big faith system that's created by Jews. It doesn't make it Jewish. A Yiddish Welt means a Torah world. A Gute Welt. Because we are making the world a better place, a holier place, a gentler place, a more sensitive place, a more spiritual place, a Yiddish Welt. So it's good, it's good. Torah says it's good. It's good the way Torah calls it good. So this has an impact if Allah felt it. It has a direct impact on all the nations. So he's talking about impact in the world. He's talking about changing the world in which we live. The world was arum de Yidin. The Rebbe is not talking to Yidin. The Rebbe is talking about the world around us, around the Jewish people. So the Rebbe says, what's the message? What's the teaching of Rabbi Akiva? The Rabbi Akiva's disciples had a global impact. Even though they lived in a particular part of the Middle East, we call Eretz Yisrael, they called Yehuda at that time. That's not the point. The point was the Olam Shamim. And Rabbi Akiva, through his Torah teaching, is able to civilize an uncivilized, wild west, empty world. Making it a holy world. Filling it with different, with a new layer of meaning. With a new dimension of spirituality. And then he says, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, this day, he celebrates Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, but this day of his passing. And he instructed his disciples that they should not mourn his passing, but they should celebrate his passing. Which is really a subject for another day. I don't want to, I'm not even going to try to explain that. But this is the reality. And the Rebbe quotes that in the holy book of Zohar, it says that in Lagba Omer, he was together with his disciples, and he said that he would teach them and reveal to them the secrets of Torah that had up until this point remained hidden, unknown. So he's going to teach the secrets of Torah. What's Torah? Torah, the Rebbe says, Torah is Chaim. Torah is Torah of life. It's not academia. It's not the ivory tower realities. It's a Torah of life. It's a Torah about reality. So he's teaching deep secrets of Torah about reality. And he goes on to finish this Torah teaching by quoting a Pasuk of Tehillim, which is found in Psalm 133, like Bomer's 33. By the way, the two passages of Tanya are from chapter 33. And Zold says this idea that 33 is Gal, Gal Enai. Not Lag, but Gal. Gal means reveal. Open my eyes. Reveal to me. We'll talk about that in the he finishes the Torah with the words, Kishom Tziva Hashem Et Habracha, because God has, where's Shom? There. Where's there? You know where there is? Here. Here, this world. Kishom Tziva Et Habracha, Chaim, life, 
Ad Olam. Ad Ha'olam. What does it mean, Ad Ha'olam? So the Rebbe explains that durch them, unmit them, it's through the Torah, it's with the Torah, the Abish, the Almighty God, gives us blessings, and that these blessings are relevant and meaningful and impactful. And in a whole range, a whole gamut of life, Unabendic, starting, he says, from Chayim, from life, from Levin Kipshutai, literally, Pashat, body and soul together. And then he says, in a deeper level, Chayim, in the deepest mean, in the manner, in the deepest, most profound dimension means that you're living a life that's full of meaning. A life worth living. A life filled with something more than a chemical or biological reality. And that this Chayim, this real life, that zayn ad ha'olam. Ad ha'olam means until. What does ha'olam mean? Until the world. But ad ha'olam sometimes also means for eternity. The Rebbe teaches, he says, if Allah mekoymais in all places, when if Allah zmanim in all time. In other words, Rabbi Akiva's deepest, Rabbi Shimon Bar-Yechai's deepest secrets were revealed to us for what purpose? What did he seek to accomplish by revealing these teachings? He sought to be sham tziva sabracha, that God should give us the brachas, that this Torah should become an envelope, a vehicle, a, a rocket ship through which these blessings should be able to come to a different place. This is, this is the convention through which these blessings, the envelope through which they reach us. And where does it get it? It gets propelled through the Torah. Sham tziva sabracha, chayim, that the blessing is distilled into life, with many meanings, Ad ha'olam, in every iota of time and space. So, what is what's, what does the Rebbe goes on to say? Then he goes on to talk about talmidim. He says this whole like is about students. So he's talking about children, not just big students, not just mature students. He talks about children, and he says the point is that when a child learns something, that the child then has to have an impact on his environment that he's going to share what he learns. And if he becomes a better person, a better child, then those around him can become better and the world can become a better place. Incidentally, during that summer, there was people who made fun and mocked the Rebbe. Whoever heard of a child being a teacher, a source of inspiration, a mashpia? And the Rebbe spoke a very sharp sikha. The Rebbe, he, he did everything but say that the, these individuals are basically total ignoramuses. The Rebbe said it's an open Gemara. And it's not just a Gemara, some Gemara that nobody learns. It says it's a Masechet that everybody learns in the Yeshiva's Masechet Chulun. And the Gemara tells an incredible story about Rabbi Chia. And it says, How extraordinary were the acts of Chia. What did Chia do? Chia lived in a time when Israel was destroyed. Chia lived in a time when there was no Torah left. Chia lived in a time there was no tomorrow. So Chia decided one day, all of a sudden, he's going to plant flax. And everybody thought Chia had midlife crisis. Some guy grows a ponytail, this guy gets a motorcycle, he's planting flax. He became a flax planter. And then he became, oh, he harvested the flax, and then he went into the next phase, he became a net maker, making nets. Okay, this is Nebuch Rebchi, it was a big Talmud Chacham, he became a farmer, now he's making nets. And then after he finished making his nets, then he went ahead and became a trapper. And then after he became a trapper, he became a shaykhet. And then he slaughtered these deer, that, the gazelles that he, that he trapped, he gave the meat to the poor, and he became a parchment maker. And when he finished becoming a parchment maker, then he became a scribe. And he wrote five scrolls. And when he finished writing the five scrolls, he became a nursery school teacher. And he took 
private tutorial, one-on-one. -on -one. He took a child, and he learned with this child the whole Chumash Bereshus. Then he took the next child, he learned with him the whole Chumash Shmois, and so on and so forth, all five books of Moshe. And then these children had to teach each other what they learned from Reb Chia. And these children, the child who learned Bereshus taught the other four children Bereshus. The child who learned Shmois taught the other four children Shmois. And with these five children, Rabbi, Rabbi Chia dispatched these five children across Israel. That each of them should create five disciples. And each of those five disciples should teach each other and they should create five disciples. And in doing so, Rabbi Akiva restored the Torah to Israel. So the Rebbe says, you mean to tell me? You never heard of a child having an impact? The whole Rebchia, the whole reconstitution, rehabilitation of the Jewish people was sparked by Rebbe Chia, by the great Rebbe, and children. And children. Why didn't he speak to adults? I don't know. Maybe the adults wouldn't listen to him. Maybe he needed the innocence of a child. Maybe only a child could absorb it like a sponge and would follow Rebbe Chia into the, into the wild blue yonder, not knowing what would come in the end. Maybe an adult would be jaded. Maybe he would laugh. Maybe he would say, give it up, Rebbe Chia. I don't know. But that's what Abhiya did. And the Rebbe speaks about this. He's speaking about children. He's speaking about Talmidim. He's speaking about Talmidim. That the Talmidim should make a difference. And the Rebbe says that just like the Talmidim of Rebbe Kiva, that it was the disciples of Rebbe Kiva whose job was to reconstitute, to rebuild a vanished world, a world destroyed. A world was is a world which now, at present, is empty, meaningless, lifeless, vist. It's an astonishing wilderness. That the world should become the kind of world it should be. And he emphasizes again, that what Abshirim Bayechai was in his highest madregas, the highest spiritual level, cleaving onto Hashem. What was he talking about? He was teaching Torah, the greatest secrets of Torah. And he was worried that these secrets of Torah should later be recorded. And these secrets of Torah should later be passed on to the next generation. And what, that's a mission, he said. Rabbi, Rabbi Shumar Yechai set something in motion. And what's the ultimate goal of, of, the, of that mission? And the Rebbe again emphasizes that it's all about Erzien de Gansa Arum. He says it's about changing your surrounding, your environment. And again, he uses the words Uif Buyenavelt to build up a world. At that point, the Rebbe says that it would be a good idea if we would add more psukim. Psukim from Torah Shibachtav, psukim from Torah Shibachtav. And these psukim will serve to inspire and empower us, especially the children and those around the children and ultimately the whole world, that they should create a paradigm shift. That a world that's godless should become godly. That a world that's cruel and indifferent should become sensitive and engaged. This is the whole preface. It's all edited. It's all edited. And Rebbe talks about the fact that it's the Tanya, the 33rd chapter. He emphasizes that, underlines that. And he talks about knowing these psukim will necessarily change the way we behave. And it's necessarily going to make a world of difference. He finished off the sixth uh, chapter. As the Welt soll nicht sein, kein Eulam Shamim. The ultimate purpose of these Psukim is that the world should not be an empty place, a destroyed place. 
Not a welt, a welcher der Eberster sagt, a world about which God says is the Sein Dira, is his personal dwelling. So really, I think this is very simple. The first six psukim teach me how to be a good Yid. It, it empowers me and shows me how I can do this. It's part of me. It's intrinsic to life, not only in heavens, but right here on earth. It's something that I can do. We can transcend the limitations. The first six psukim are speaking to me. It's telling me that I can be the kind of Jew who has a portion In fact, it's telling me God's even expecting me to do this. God even needs me to do this. How about the world? How about the world around me? There's nothing in the sixth psukim that indicates that I have any kind of need to deal with the world around me. The heck with the world. So like a lot of people think that Judaism is a different form of, uh, I don't know, Hinduism or escapism. They think that Judaism is all about me getting a piece of heaven, my spiritual chocolate cake. And because God sent me here and someday I have to stand before the throne of glory and God will demand and question, what did I do? And will I get into the Garden of Eden? Will I be able to enter? Or will I be locked out? So I want to live my good life. I live a life that Hashem allows me so I can go to heaven. But there's a problem. What's the problem? <laughs> the world doesn't seem to be interested in doing this. The world doesn't embrace this. So, so what should I do? Simple. I build big walls. I live ghettoized myself. I try to flow as far away from the rest of the world as I can that the world shouldn't get in my way, and I should be able to continue to live a life where the Eberster wants me, that I should eat kosher, that I should put on film, that I should keep Shabbos, that I should study Torah, that I should have Ahavat Yisrael, at least to the Jews who look like me and like Ahavat Yisrael for them. <laughs> I make my own insular world, and the main thing is I shouldn't sin. I shouldn't look where I shouldn't look, I shouldn't go where I shouldn't go, I shouldn't do what I shouldn't do, I should celebrate the holidays, and I should do all the things Hashem wants, and I can successfully make it through my journey, and beyond ha'afkid ruchi, I give back my soul at the end of 120, phew, it's over, the test has been passed, and now I move on to my eternal reward. There is such an approach. It's not the right approach. And it contradicts the words of the Medrash. But it's a very selfish approach and it's a very typical approach. And most faith systems have adopted this approach. The Medrash, the Tanchuma that says, the famous Medrash that says, that the reason that God created a world is because God desired a dwelling place right here in this world. So that first perspective, how does it have a contribution to make to a dwelling place in this world? The answer is it doesn't. Who cares about this world? This world is irrelevant. The world is simply a challenge for me. It's a test for me. All the world is in this obstruction. And I have to get through the obstacle course. That's what I got to do. And as long as I get through the obstacle course, I come out a winner, I go to heaven. The first six, six psukim do not for a moment dwell on the reality around me. What was the Rebbe's whole preface? Six chapters of the first sicha. Edited sicha. The Rebbe speaks about how Rabbi Akiva, the greatest teacher of Torah, that he taught Talmidim Torah. He established Talmidim. And the emphasis in the Gemara is that before the Talmidim was an Eilam Shamim. It was an empty world. And that through the Talmidim, the world became a meaningful world. A holy world. A gentle world. A godly world. He talked about the teaching of Hashirim Bayuchai, Kabbalah. Zohar. The highest. The holiest. The most out of this world. 
And Rabbi Shimon Be'echai is going to give the greatest secrets on his last day on earth. And he finishes with the words, Kisham Tzive Sabracha. Bracha means hamshacha. Bracha means to actualize, to draw down. Kisham Tziva. Hashem commanded his bracha, Shom there, Chayim. He should send forth life. Ad Ha'olam. In every time and in every place. And the Rebbe talks about that the Rishim Barichai sets something in motion here. And he's talking to the children. And he's telling the children that it's their job to make the world a godly place. And it's your job not only that you should be careful to behave appropriately, to dot your I's and cross your T's and do everything as the Torah tells you to do and make sure not a single hair is at a place and your own spiritual perfection is achieved. The Rebbe tells us we have a job to do. Our job is to transform the world. How does a Jew transform the world? Abish to him Kayach, of course. He has a Torah, a Torah to study, mitzvahs to do, people to teach. The Rebbe speaks about the nations of the world. He talks about the world should be a Yiddish event. He doesn't mean to convert everybody to Judaism. He means the ideas and ideals of Judaism should become part of the fabric and rubric of everyday society. He talks about the idea of a holy and a gentle and a good world, that this should be part of everyday discourse. And exactly when this Sikh came out is when the monsters of ISIS rose. Almost exactly the same time. Where, where some very wise people maintain that we're already in a World War III, that the world is beginning to heat up in a global conflagration, where hardly a day goes by. First it was Israel, now it's the whole world. Hardly a day goes by without acts of violence, mayhem, murder, cruelty. Everything the opposite of what the Ebershter wants. But we're going the wrong direction over here. The Rebbe sent this out to Sikha. Just when everything seems lost. Just when we're about to give up on Elam Hazar. The, the next six psukim, the next six passages, are no longer addressing us as, yes you can, yes you should, here's who you are, the next six psukim are addressing, here's how you must make the world a better place. That's the premise. So when the class is going forward, I'm not going to review from the beginning of the 12 again. I did that review. I'm going to talk about the first pasuk, which is B'reish's Bara. I'm going to try to share with you some insight, a little bit of a, a new understanding and appreciation of B'reish's Bara, what the Rebbe might have meant. And then we're going to go forward. In the future weeks, we'll talk about Pasuk by Pasuk. So what's the Pasuk? The Rebbe said, We should add the first Pasuk of Tere Shebech Sav, which is the Pasuk of Bereishis Bara Elikim, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. On the surface, you couldn't have found a stranger verse. What does the verse say? What does the verse mean? What did it teach me? And I'll share with you a, a little selection of the writings of our sages. The Rishonim, the Achronim, you see some of what the Chazal say. The Moir HaAfela, he says, incidentally, I have a book called Eimla Mikro Mercedes. I keep it in my shtender on Shabbos because he talks about every time there's a big letter in the Torah or a small letter in the Torah and he gives you reasons. So on average, he's got five reasons, ten reasons, fifteen reasons. He has approximately 590 reasons for the first base. Why? Well, there's a large base. 
is the most talked about letter in the entire Torah. No, nothing comes close to having a hundred even. Over, almost 600 explanations on the base. I'm going to share with you just a couple of them. So the Moira Aphela says like this. He says, why does the Torah start with the word Benetius? Why does the Torah start with a base? After all, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is? Isn't that a better way to start? So he says, I'll tell you why. Because Aleph is Lashon Echad. Like we learned in step two, Echad. He says, Ein Echad, Allah HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You talk about Echad, to go oneness, only God is one. The moment you talk about Nivroyim, you talk about multiplicity, you talk about fragmentation, there is no Yichud. They call it a universe. They would be better off calling it a multiverse. Only HaKadosh Baruch Hu, only God is really the oneness, the essential oneness. Everything else, there's the thing, there's the, its vitality, its environment, there's fragmentation. So the Torah begins with a message, not of unity, but the Moira Rafael says the Torah begins with a message of fragmentation. We got pieces. That's inspiring. That's a... Start off with Shema Yisrael. Start off with something holy. No. We start off with fragmentation. And if that's not bad enough, the Balaturim, and he gets this teaching from the Medrash Tanchuma, he gets it from the Talmud Yerushalmi, he gets it from the Medrash Rabbah. I'm going to share with you the way the, the Balaturim does it, because he stitches it together so beautifully. He says, the Medrash asked the question, why does the Torah start with a Bez? Why does it start with an Aleph? He says, I'll tell you why. Because Bez is Lashem Bracha. Based from the terms of the term of blessing. And Aleph could be Lashon Arira. Could be the term of curses. HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Eftach Bebez. I'm going to start with a Bez. I'm going to start with Lashon Bracha. I'm going to start with a language of blessing. Do you want me to do this? Because the world is such a good place? No. Because the world is so messed up to begin with. It's got so little chance of success. Hulavai Shayochalehizkayim. It's like, I give you all my prayers, man. Here's all the blessings. You're going to need all the blessings you can get. That's benacious. Good luck. You need a lot of blessings. In the, in the town Chumah, it just says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, I'll do B'lashem Baruch because there's already enough trouble in the world. Already enough Anoshim HaMachisim. In the Medrash Rabbah, it says clearly, it says, I create it with the language of syntax of blessing. I infuse it with a framework of benison. And I hope, as they say, by, with, may God help you. Halavai. If only it will stand. So what's the message? The world is a broken place. God is one. The world is pieces, fragmentation. Number two, the world started off in need of blessings. Ever hear the expression people say, I, I need all the blessings I can get? That's the first message of the Balaturim. That's the first thing we hear about. You need all the blessings you can get. So, so the world's not such a, a happy place or a good place, so why would you want to start off with that? What's the point? Besides which, please tell me exactly what does this mean, Bereshis Bar Elikim? What exactly does it mean that in the beginning God created? What does it mean? 
I know when it comes to ukshartim al I should tie a sign upon my hand. I got clear instructions. I know exactly what it means. It means a black box made of leather with a certain kind of parchment. This I know exactly what it means. I know when it comes to keeping Shabbat, I know exactly what it means. How do I know? Well, because Moshe said, don't build a Mishkan, and then he said, keep Shabbat, but you can't build a Mishkan on Shabbat, so anything was involved in building a Mishkan, I know automatically is connected to the concept of Shabbat, and this is how I understand how to keep Shabbat. And it's self-understood that the oral Torah cannot, cannot be pushed aside or overridden by the written Torah. People say, oh, I follow the scripture. But the scripture, whether the oral Torah is a closed book, what will be the point of God giving us the Torah if we can't figure out what word of what it says? What will be the point of God giving us mitzvahs if we have no clue of what He really wants us to do? He just knows nebulous mitzvahs. Yeah, I believe God was some kind of revelation at Sinai. What did He tell us? Oh, we don't really know. Did He want us to do mitzvahs? Well, you know, some say yes, some say no. I'm not sure. The rabbis made it up. Well, the rabbis made it up. Why should I do it for? What's the point? What's the logic? Why would God give us mitzvahs that are not mitzvahs? Why would God give us instructions that nobody understands? It's totally counterintuitive. It's, it's, it's borderline insanity. So we actually believe that Hashem gives us mitzvahs that we could understand. Having said that, there are some psukim, some verses in the Torah that we don't fully really understand. And guess what? This business of Bereshah's butter in the beginning of God creating the heaven and earth, we don't really understand it. We don't really understand it. In fact, the Ramban says, the reason we use the term bara, bara means to create, Ramban says we don't have any words in the Hebrew language to describe what God did. Because God created a world, what's called ex nihilo, yesh me'ayin. He didn't modify one substance or cause combustion or some kind of nuclear dynamic with the, with, the, with the subatomic structures of, of the world collapsed and exploded. We're not talking about any... No, no, no. This is all after there's some kind of already molecular reality. Where there's some kind of quantum physics in place. This is ex nihilo. What does that mean? I don't know. Nobody knows what ex nihilo means. We don't even know what a black hole means. It's just a theory. Nobody's ever been to a black hole. Because if he was, he couldn't come back and tell you about it. We don't even know, we don't even know if there was, is such a thing. It's a scientific theory right now. Ex nihilo? Yesh me'ayim? Ramban says we don't have another language. So the Torah uses the only language it has in its arsenal. Not because God couldn't make a word. God could make a word. Yesh me'ayim. What does it mean to us? You see, the English, or for that matter, any other spoken tongue, is the result of, of human experiences. So we know what it feels like to be hot. I mean, we created a word for hot. We know if it's to be cold, we created a word for cold. We know what it feels like to be loved or to love or to be happy or to be sad. We created words for these phenomena. What do you, how do you create a word for a phenomenon that's not observable, that's not part of our everyday reality? We can't create words for that. Hebrew actually has words for things like that, like the word tahor, which does not mean clean. It's a spiritual thing. There is no word like tahor in any other language because no other language is made by people and there's no reality that people's eyes, ears, or hands could touch. It's called tahor. Person's tameh goes to dirty mikvah, comes out the heart. What does that mean? So Ramban says we don't have the verbiage. We don't have a word to say yesh ayin. And because we don't have a word to say yesh ayin, so says Bereshis Bara. Like Malbum says with Pashtas. Bereshis Bara, that's Bereya yesh ayin. Why doesn't it say yotzar? Radak says, how can it say yotzar? Yotzar means that you're forming. You form something that already pre existed. Nothing pre existed. So what does it mean, Bereshis Bara Lakim? What does it mean? God created. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it means to create. I'm not a creator. Not only I don't know what it means to create, so I don't even understand what these words are talking about. 
Rashi comes along and tells us that you should know it doesn't mean that in the, this is not the first thing. This is at a certain point. At a certain point, at the beginning of the creation of heaven and earth, that's when the narrative of the Torah chooses to begin its description. The Balei say, what is the meaning over here of Bereshis? Balei say, this is similar, Kemoi Kivikurei, when something reaches maturation. Like when a bud first appears, in fresh, firstling fruit. When suddenly, from a bulb, there begins to emerge the beginnings of what will later be a fully developed fruit. And when you look at that first moment of appearance of the bulb, and the petals fall off, and a bulb suddenly becomes prominent, you don't know what the apple is going to look like. You don't really see the apple or the etrog. Only if you see the apples in the etrog, I mean, you can identify the bulb. And you slowly see how, that's how the world was slowly starting to form. There was Shamayim Va'aret, Shamayim Rabim. There was some kind of heaven, some kind of earth, enormous water. We have no clue the fusion that was going on in the world. It was unbelievable. Very, very similar, perhaps, to what scientists describe in the beginning of what they call Big Bang, or several Big Bangs. It, it, sound, it sounds like that's what Badesha's butter picks up from. But we don't know what it's talking about. So why is this the first Pasuk? The first Pasuk is a Pasuk that we don't really understand. Furthermore, Rashi chooses to begin his entire commentary on the Torah with a teaching of Rabbi Yitzchak, which this teaching is found in the Yalkut Shemoni and is found in the book of Zohar. And the teaching is, Omar Rabbi Yitzchak, Rabbi Yitzchak said, Rashi modifies the verbiage a little. In the words of the Zohar, it says, Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, le'itzrech o'iraisa le'michtav, elo me'achedish z'alachem. The Torah should not have begun, except from the first mitzvah that God gave Moshe Rabbeinu when they were in Egypt, saying, sanctify the new moon and begin to hallow time. And that's the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh. The mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh. So it means up until this point, it's true, there are mitzvahs, there are mitzvahs, but there was never mitzvahs given to us as a nation. Those were mitzvahs given to individual. So a mitzvah like bris milah, or a mitzvah which is circumcision, or a mitzvah of Gidanash, the prohibition of eating the sciatic nerve, the, the sirloin steak, the rare end of the animal, this all could have been given to us later on. There's no point of narratives and stories. Why do we need stories? What is this about? Who is learning anything from Bereshah's Bar Elikim? I don't know how God created the world, so why do I need to study it? So Rashi says, because Hashem wanted to give the might, the might of his deeds over to his nation. So that when the if the nations will come to the Jewish people and they will say, you are thieves. You have stolen, occupied somebody else's land. Sound familiar? In case this will happen, people will come along and say, Jews have occupied somebody else's land. You have conquered the land of other nations. The Jewish people turn around and say, The whole land belongs to God. He created it to a son. He gave it to whoever he wanted to give it, and now he gave it to us. Okay, so the reason or that we have a beginning with Bereshis, but according to Rashi, most straightforward, simplistic, if you will, Profound, profoundly simplistic. But the straightforward interpretation of the Torah, the pshat, the literal, most literal meaning is, the reason we give with Bereshus is to tell us about our connection to the land of Israel. Alright, so it's a mitzvah about Israel. You want to say a pasuk about Israel? There are much more overt psukim about Israel. We could have, 
we could have, did everyone want to talk about Israel here? And he said, you could have maybe told us to review and to internalize the Pasuk that Eretz Yisrael is the land, it's the land that God's always supervising, God's eyes are upon, His presence is always there. There are lots of Sukkim. The whole Parshas Re'eh is full of unbelievable Sukkim about Eretz Yisrael. Why in heaven is this Pasuk chosen? It's not even a Pasuk that teaches us Torah. And, the, you know, the Rebbe wants to explain that there's, there's, first of all, there's a little guy inside us, the little, the Gentile inside us that says, what are you doing, Israel? Stop it. You're stealing somebody else's land. So, the, the, you know, you have your own little like, two by four on the shoulder. So he says, La yiksha A person shouldn't feel bad to himself. How can we take away somebody else's land? The Abishta gave it to you. And then, and then the second thing is the, the nations are saying, hey, you took somebody's land. What's our response to them? You believe in the Bible? Your prime minister, your president puts his hand and he swears on it. By what is he swearing? A pack of lies? Billions of people believe in the Bible. It's history. What do you want from us? So, so we have this business where And the Rebbe once asked the question. He said, that, "Why does Rashi begin with this teaching? It's like a, it's like a, it's not even relevant to the explain it. Explain the pasuk first, as Rashi does explain it. But first, explain it. Then you give us this speech, this story about So the Rebbe says Rashi is trying to tell us that when you study Torah, it has to be instructive." It has to be practical. It has to be telling you something. To which I'm asking you, for heaven's sake, the wide nations but Elikim, of all the psukim in the Torah, I would say it's like the last one of all the major headline psukim. This is the Pasuk. I, a, I don't know what it means. B, it doesn't tell me anything specific, except the detail it gives me an answer for somebody or dealing with my own demons about Israel. That's just like a, a secondary thing. It's not a mitzvah. The Torah is about mitzvahs. The Torah is The Torah is instructions. So why do you tell me a puzzle? Why did the Rebbe say learn Bernatius? So the Rebbe said why. He said because as the Eibishter, the Bashaf and the Welt, God created the world, the Himmel and the heavens, with Alzvas Gifinzichif and Himmel, everything in the Himmel, and the earth, with Alzvas Gifinzichif, the earth, everything that's on the earth. The Rebbe said that this Pasuk has a direct shaykh, has a direct connection to tog teglichen oifirung, to daily behavior, to daily the maintenance of our spirituality and our Jewishness. Why? Varum, because a small child, a small boy or a small girl, or maybe even an adult, we said, so come up for adults also, could become very frightened when you see a big threatening world around us. And a person might think, that this world, there are things that aren't as they should be. In fact, like the language of the Gemara we quoted, it's an oilam shomim. It's an empty world. A wilderness. So the Pasuk of Bereshis Bara reminds a Yid who looks around at the world and thinks it's empty and wild, their man their Pasuk as the vel tatabalabos. That the world has an owner. It's not the Wild West. It's not an ownerless oasis. This is a world that has a balabas. Vas erhat ir The balabas, the master of the universe, created the universe. Und das is der Eberster. And that's God. Und der Eberster hat gegeben Teter. That God gave us the Teter. 
Midvelchem it can feel in the world. The Torah was given to be used in the world, not to be taken out of the world. The Torah was used, given to us for the world. In, in simple terminology, the Torah is the owner's manual. It's the instructions of how to use the world that he created. I mean, if you're going to buy yourself a new toy, a new gadget, and you want to know how to use it, what are you going to do? Trial and error? That's a dumb way to do it. Either speak to somebody who read the manual, or read the manual yourself. The manual is Torah. Either find that from somebody who's a master of Torah and said, teach me what the Torah says, or study the Torah and find out what the manual says. in you can accomplish an abdacious bodelikim esashamayim ve'esaharetz. In other words, you don't say, God's in the heavens. God is not any more in the heavens than God is here on earth. The point is that Hashem gave us a world with heaven and earth, with spirituality and materiality, a world that has spiritual pursuit and a world that has earthly material existence, and that it's all created by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The message of bodacious bodelikim is, the world is not on autopilot. The world is not its own entity. It's not, it's not a, a spaceship gone crazy. The world is created, was created, is created constantly by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He created this world. So if God created this world, and God made this world, like we say in Shema Yisrael, Hashem Echad, so what did you say? You said, I can't do anything with the world? How can I change the world? The world is antithetical to godliness? What are you talking about? God created the world. In fact, God chose to begin His whole Torah with this idea that He created the world. What is He trying to tell you on the simplest level? God's telling you the world is my world. It's the Abishter's world. And because it's the Abishter, because it's God's world, it's our job to make it God's world in an overt way. That's the point of these verses, these passages. The point is, a person looks around the world, the world is a bad place. Comes the Rebbe and says, no. Torah says the world is potentially a good place. It looks empty, it looks wild. Oh, that's what Rabbi Akiva was trying to do. That's what Rabbi Shimberichai was teaching Torah for. That's your job. That's your job. That's your mandate. That's your mission. That's why God sent you here. To make a deal of but Betachtainim. You know, the Rebbe, on, on different occasions, spoke about this, this Rashi. Many different occasions, actually. So, on, on one occasion, he said that it seems, from the words of Rashi, that because somebody's going to come and complain, we stole Israel, that the whole Torah had to be worded a certain way. That the whole, like the Torah was rotated, like turned inside out, because somebody's going to say something. I mean, come on, talk about having a complex. You want to give a Torah? Give a Torah the way a Torah should be given. You give a Torah like a whole convoluted way. Why? In case somebody's going to say something. The Bible says clearly, there must be something much larger than just somebody's going to say to the Jewish people. But rather, herein the Torah is giving us a foundational understanding of Yiddishkeit. And the foundational understanding of Yiddishkeit is that a person could think that the Jewish people have nothing to do Judaism and materiality have nothing to do with one another. Judaism is a religion. It's a religion, they say. Don't talk about Israel. Don't talk about a land. Don't talk about soil. Don't talk about geography. It's a religion. It's a religion. It's not a people. It's not, a, it's not an ethnicity. It's a faith system. It's a code. It's a morality. It's a philosophy. So Torah comes along and says, that's not true. The Abish that created the world, and he created a Jewish people in the world eventually, didn't happen right in the beginning, 
But first he makes the case for an Am Yisrael, and then he introduces our, our patriarchs, our matriarchs, and eventually we emerge as the Jewish people. And what, pray tell, is our goal? What is our mission? To change the world. And that's what it tells you, it has to begin this way. A person comes along and says, it's not just about Eretz Yisrael, it's also about Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is the poster boy. Eretz Yisrael is the paradigm. Eretz Yisrael is the illustration, the example. It's not just about Eretz Yisrael. It represents the idea that godliness and Yiddishkeit and the material world have everything to do with each other. It's our job to make sure that godliness overwhelms materiality, not the other way around. That olam, which means concealment, that the concealment should be peeled away and it should become a world that reflects godliness and the presence of Hashem instead of conceals and hides it. So that's why koyach maisav higid la'ami. What does that mean? Koyach maisav. God gave you the might of His deed. He gave it over to you. He gave it to... What did He he tell you about it for? He told you because you're His shliach, because you're His agent, you're His emissary. It's your job to do this. So if it's your job to do this, God gave it over to you. He said, I created the world. I created the world. And I made the world for a purpose. Now go do it. That's, that's the message of Lehoya HaTorah Tzarek Lahaskel. On a different occasion, the Rebbe says, if God wanted the land of Israel to be given to the Jewish people, why didn't he just do that to begin with? First he made Canaanite nations. And they should fill the land and call it Canaan. And so it should be for centuries. And then the Jewish people should come and have to have a war and fight until the end of time they're talking about whose land it is. Hey, just make it simple. Just create the world and have the Jewish people there. The Romans were Romans. They lived in Rome. The Greeks were Greeks. They lived in Greek. They have Greeks were coming out of Egypt who came to Greece to capture it. Why did, they, why did Hebrews have to come to Israel and capture Israel? What was the point? Just put us there to begin with. What's the answer? The answer is, there's no free lunches. The answer is, the Eibishter, Almighty God wants us to work for it. Because you know, when you get it for free, you don't even appreciate it. It's a given. When you work for it, you toil. Ah, then there's a feeling of accomplishment, a feeling of satisfaction. The point there is, the Eibishter gave it to us through Yigiyah. He gave it to us through hard work. And that, in, in essence, is what Yiddishkeit is all about. Think about it. A Jewish child is taught the whole Torah during his period of gestation. In vitro, as they say. For nine months he's taught the whole Torah. And then what happens just before you're born? The Ebershter strikes you, the Malach strikes you on the, on the upper lip, and you forget the whole Torah. So what was the point? Why did I have to learn the whole Torah to forget the whole Torah? Don't teach to me to begin with. The answer is that deep down... The Torah really is mine, and it really belongs to me. And I should know Torah. So if I should know it, why'd you make me forget it? So you should relearn it. So you should have the wonderful satisfaction and achievement of the toil and the effort that's crowned with success. It's intrinsically yours. Now go claim it. Think about this. The Rebbe said that there is a, there is a, a comparison, a corollary drawn between Eretz Yisrael and the study of Torah. We have a famous Gemara in Baruchas that says, Shalosh Matonis, Nasna Kadosh Baruch Liyasod, with three gifts that God gave to the Jewish people. The Chulan. And all three of these gifts, Lenitnon, Ela Al Yudayasudin, they were only given to us through the pain of trial and travail. What were the three things? That we have to have pain. We have to toil over. We have to have anguish in order to get it. Torah, Eretz Yisrael, and Eilam Haba. There you go. 
It's a godly world. But if it's a godly world, then why doesn't it look like a godly world? Why doesn't it feel like a godly world? Why doesn't it know it's a godly world? Because then you wouldn't have a job to do. So it doesn't know, and it doesn't feel, and it doesn't say, and it doesn't see, and your job is to know that it is, potentially. And your job is to reveal that. It's a Elam Shamaim, and through Badesh's Bar Elikim, it's a Shemayim it's a child that's to know that the big, bad, scary world is God's world. And if it's God's world, that's to become a good place. There was a famous chassid of the last generation who never quite got it as far as the Rebbe's illuminating perspective on, on world, on worldly matters. He once had a fabrengen with a group of his disciples who respected him very greatly. And he said to them, I, I told you, he said, before we left the DP camp. My grandfather was in his DP camp. My father was brought up in this DP camp called Pocking. It's a little town in Germany that had the, the barracks that the, most of the Lubavitchers ended up there after the war. He said, I told you in Pocking, I told you, he said, I told you you're going from a world of truth to a world of falsehood. We are coming from a world of truth. In our world of truth, we were beaten for being Jewish. In our world of truth, having a beard was a cause of suffering. In our world of truth, keeping Shabbos was something that could cost you your livelihood. Now you're going to a false world. Now you're going to America. He said, America. In America, they're going to pat you on the back for being a, pat you on the, give you compliments for being a fine Jew. And everybody's going to allow you freedom of religion and freedom of expression. And everybody's going to appreciate. He said, it's a, it's a false world. That was his fabrengen. And I heard this from a child who was there who was, today is almost 70 years old. He told me over the story and I was thinking to myself, how radically different is that from the way that Ebba educated us? How radically different, so, so far from the Rebbe's perspective that we have to find godliness in every iota of existence, that if we will stand up and be proud and be strong and speak messages of Torah, that the world will come along and say, yeah, 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 the world's waiting for it, the world is waiting for the Jew to get up and say the MS. The world is waiting for this. That worldliness does not have to be antithetical to godliness. That Shabbos doesn't rob you of your parnasa. Shabbos, in fact, is the source of your parnasa. Having a beard doesn't make you weird. It brings Hashem's blessings. It brings an added level of respect. V'chuli, 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 etc., etc., etc. L'toiv lanu. L'toiv for good, like the Ramban says in Parsha Sarei. L'toiv lanu. It's about, it should be good for you. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants it to be good for you. There's nothing as gishmak, nothing as beautiful, as fulfilling, as satisfying as a life of Yiddishkeit. I bumped into a fellow a few hours ago and I, I struck up a conversation with him hoping that I could ask him to put on film and that he'll agree. And I really thought I have no chance with this guy whatsoever, but I was just going to try. And to my surprise, he said, I would rather like to do that. I haven't done it since my bar mitzvah. It's got to be about 40. So we put on film and he says, please explain it to me. I want to understand this. So I explained to him. explained to him film and I'm explaining going on. And he says, you know, I've come to notice that all the people around me who are more religious, they seem a little happier because of it. And I said, absolutely. Absolutely. Yiddishkeit brings you joy, not misery. If it's bringing you misery, you're not doing it right. Yiddishkeit should make us happy. It should give us a sense of fulfillment. A yid without Yiddishkeit. It's like, you know, french fries without ketchup. Only much worse. It brings out the flavor. It makes everything beautiful. Elam is not a contradiction. The world is not supposed to be the opposite of Torah mitzvahs, the opposite of Yiddishkeit. The world ultimately was built for this. 
We just have to get past our own little demons. We have to get out of our own closets. We have to get out of our own echo chambers. We're afraid of ourselves more often than anything else. When you get up and say it how it is, all of a sudden, people respect. The Rebbe wanted a child to know, and the Rebbe wanted an adult to know, that the next step, step number seven, towards a better life, towards fulfilling our Jewish destiny, is to know its certitude. That the world is waiting for us to change it. That the world was created by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Shomayim Ve'aretz, the spiritual and the material, by the same God. And the world is waiting for us to stand up and claim our inheritance. The world is waiting for us to stand up and be the kind of Yid that will teach others, that will be a light unto others, not to reflect somebody else's theisms or ideals or ideas or mores that a yid will get up and speak Torah loudly and proudly and the world will listen and the world listened to the Rebbe and there was enormous respect for the Rebbe because the Rebbe was unequivocal the kindest and the gentlest the most compassionate yet the most fierce sometimes and the most, most forceful sometimes the most absolute way the MS of Torah doesn't budge the world is not a bad place. The world is potentially a good place. And I will finish with the following vignette. The Rebbe spoke a Yud Shvat Fabrengen, Gustav Shalom The Rebbe talked about the fact that the final discourse of the Friedrich Rebbe began with the words, Basi Ligani, I have come to my garden. And the Rebbe talked about the Friedrich Rebbe's life hounded, persecuted, first by Tsarist officials, then by the Communist Revolution, saw everything go up in flames in the time of the Nazis, the Holocaust, and come to a spiritual wilderness that was indifferent to his message. Didn't have a peaceful day. Son and daughter burnt in Treblinka, never heard of again. A life filled with suffering, incarcerated, beaten to death doorstep, Robbed of his health. What was his last message? Last year spent in a wheelchair. He was a young man in his 60s. What was his, what was his message? His message was, the world is God's garden. It's a beautiful world. The Abishter created a beautiful world. It's a world that's filled with potential for holiness and godliness and goodliness. That's Benesha's Barah. Benesh's Buddha tells a child and tells us that Yiddishkeit does not mean to sequester yourself and separate yourself, but rather to have the boldness and the strength to engage, and to make a difference within the lives of others, within the bigger, broader society, to be able to broadcast the message of Torah. Benesh's Buddha tells us and gives us the strength, the Koyach Maisov, the Abishta is giving us his strength to be able to lay claim to Elam Hazar and to usher in the coming of Mashiach and a world that will be healed, elevated and transformed by the coming and fulfillment of all of the special prophecies that we were given, which we know with absolute certainty will in Mirz Hashem happen and we pray will unfold very speedily and in our days. Amen.